HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. Uh, today, Greg Benson is out gallivanting the world. Last I saw on the my Find My Friends app was that he was in Iceland. Uh, Damon Bolte, sadly, is trapped in a traffic snarl in uh, lovely uh, Northern California and can't join us today. But that's all right. I've got a good friend on the show today, uh, Leandro Dimoriva, right, with the rolled R's. Dimoriva. You did it. Yeah, yeah you did it. Uh, welcome. Some people are pre- genetically predisposed to not being able to roll their R's. I don't impressed. think it's genetically predisposition because no one who comes from those lands can't. It's just something you learn, and you sometimes you get you, once you're too old, you just can't learn it. I think that's what it is. It's like whistling. Like uh, yeah. you're just not you're, you're not born knowing how to do it. You just if you're from lands that roll their R's, then you've just been doing it for so long. Yeah, that, you know, I maybe think so. it seems like a predisposition. Yeah, I maybe think, I, that's got to be the case because no one that's from those places can't do it, right? Right. I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm a huge fan of yours and a huge fan of the Speakeasy, and this is uh it's a dream to be here. So thank you so much. Hey, I. I uh, feel similarly. Thank you so much for being on. Um, so, uh, you know, typically when the when the team is here, we kick around a little bit of news in the, t- in the top of the show. So um, I-, I had found this piece about Fireball. Have you heard about the class action lawsuit against Fireball, the you know cinnamon spicy whiskey product that's out there? I have a little bit, but not enough to speak to it. So I'm going to let you take the, the four. On I this mean, one. I've only read the one uh, article, but it says it all. You know, uh, last year there was a class action lawsuit against Anheuser-Busch regarding the Bud Light Limerito. I talked about it extensively on the show. I posted up the link that you could go to to um, join the, the suit. And w- even without a receipt, you could turn in information and, and uh, supposedly receive a check for it was under $10. I think it was like $9 and 70 something cents. Um, still haven't gotten my check. Uh, I'll just, uh, when, when, and if it comes, I'm just going to consider that a buyback from Anheuser Busch. I'm surely I've drank enough of their product to receive a buyback. Um, but so this one is probably headed down that same road. The people felt that the consumer felt that they were duped 
by the labeling. It says Bud Light Limerita, and they were uh, the, the suit states that they thought that they were getting tequila. And, and I don't know how you feel about that. How do you feel about the consumer's lack of knowledge in the way that alcohol is sold in America, which is a confusing, tangled mess, I understand. It is. I, I think it's a pretty dubious claim to to say that because something is called an arita that there's going to be tequila in it. Mm-hmm. I also think that the lawyer that probably took this case was like, they're going to settle because it's going to be way too expensive to not settle. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to get money out of it and it's going to be a successful class action lawsuit. But I don't know. I It's like if I saw something that said like coconut arita soft drink or something, I wouldn't think that it had tequila in it. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm giving people too much credit. I don't know. I think I'm, I have feet in, in on both sides of the fence here. I think that uh, the consumer should be a little bit more savvy, a little. Let's, let's bring them up a little. But I also think that the American system of selling alcohol is extremely confusing, right? We're effectively 50 countries uh, because uh, – you know, each each state, in fact, each each county within each state has the right to say how they sell and consume alcohol. So it's a tangled knot. I totally get it. And I understand that <clears throat> all the hoops and hurdles that brands have to jump through to be able to sell their products at all in America. So I, I, I think it's a it's a it's a just a there's a gap in the synapse there. Right. Like the, the consumer should know a little more than they know. They should be a little more savvy. But the, right. the, the, it's a really good like reason to not like leave it to the states. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. The, the federal government made a massive mistake after prohibition. The government made a mistake. Yeah. Apparently. Um, by, by allowing every state to make their own rules. And I don't think that we should think of anything as every state should make their own rules. And that's a whole nother show. That is, yeah. We're not going to get into that. We might. Not today. You never know. <laughs> anyway, so that happened with, with them last year. I signed up. Uh, hopefully, I'll get my check. They said it could take months to arrive. Uh, but when it does, I'm just going to frame it and hang it on my wall. Uh, I just want to check from Anheuser-Busch. Um, well, now the same thing's going on with Fireball. They've gotten in trouble because they sell the little minis at gas stations and uh, convenience marts and you know, 7-Eleven or wherever all over the place. Um, and of course, because of the liquor rules uh, in the United States, they can't, you can't sell distillates, you can't sell whiskey um, in those venues. So it has to be a, a ferment. So it's basically a wine slash beer product that they're selling. Uh, clocks in at 23%, which is still pretty high, right? Wine is only right. as high as like 18 or so, even, if, even when, when you get into the fortified stuff. Um, but so now people are, the, the class action lawsuit has been formed and they're, they're feeling they've been duped that it's not actual whiskey. Right. This actually seems like a little bit better of a claim because when you, I mean, like Fireball, you know, it 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 advertises itself as a cinnamon whiskey, and so, you know, like everyone knows that Anheuser Busch is in a distillery and they make beer, and so it's a little bit of a stretch to say, oh, we think that there is going to be tequila in this, especially if you're savvy enough to look at the ABV on the bottle and say, oh, it's five percent ABV. It's obviously a beer, but this other thing is actually does actually seem a little bit like fireball tricked everybody because their whole product is selling whiskey. So therefore it is kind of a little bit of a trick. Yeah. Um, the question is this though, is it's like, which States is this like every state has this law or is it like certain States that are affected by this? You know, I'm not exactly sure. I know that many States have laws on even the beers that they can sell. What, what ABV at what location, if you buy beer at say a liquor right. store, same brand of beer, whatever it is, Budweiser, you can have a higher ABV than if you're buying it <clears throat> at a convenience store or a gas station. And the thinking there is like, well, if you're buying it at a convenience store or a gas station, you're jumping right in your car. Uh, 
which I think that you're jumping in your car after you go to the liquor store as well, right? So I, I don't know the, the logic there. I do know that the lawyer that's uh, filing this suit um, is known as the Vanilla Vigilante because, <laughs> because, he, yeah, because he goes after products that say that they have vanilla in them. And if they're using you know, synthetic vanillas, he pulls suits against them in the same fashion that you're duping the American public to say that you have uh, vanilla when you do not. Uh, he's like a lawyer or troll. He's like uh, one of those yeah, people that sure. go he's... into restaurants and are like, oh, you're not compliant with uh, handicap and I'm just, now I'm going to sue you. Yeah, well, he... You're not fully compliant, like looking for things to – I mean it also seems like he's got a precedent in his career to be oh, able to sure. successfully litigate this this law. For this, sure. Uh, you, don't, you don't do this again if you didn't – if you weren't successful the first time. His other cases have included one against Frito-Lay for not using enough real lime juice in its <laughs> hint of lime – Tostitos, even though it's a hint of lime. <laughs> what? He didn't use enough to, to even be a hint. Uh, and then he's got another one uh, against Kellogg's Strawberry Pop-Tarts uh, that can contain as much apple and pear as they do the titular fruit of strawberry. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like this is a, a case of both, in this case, uh, the Anheuser-Busch case and, uh, case and the Fireball case, I think that um, there's some confusion for sure. In these other cases, it certainly seems he's just, uh, you know, the ambulance chaser of uh, of the flavor world, I guess. <laughs> well, I would have liked to have been a fly in the wall of the guy that got a Frito-Lo hint of mint uh, bag. He tasted one and said, wait a minute, yeah, and then decided to bring a lawsuit against them. This doesn't seem hinty enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what, what qualifies as a hint? Too? This is a whisper. It's not a hint. Uh, elevated. And those were successful. Those were successful. Those were all lawsuits? successful suits. Oh wow, amazing! <laughs> those are the ones the article lists. <clears throat> I don't know. I just only saw the one article, but it, I thought it was at least worthy of our attention, um, especially the fireball aspect. Um, so anyway, glad to have you on the show. Want to talk to you about a lot of things. Um, mostly, in fact, I'm intrigued by what it is you, I assume, do for a living. I don't know if you have other irons in the fire. We all are hustlers in our field. But um, you run a wildly popular uh, YouTube and uh, social media juggernaut called Educated Barfly. Um, yeah. First, let's kind of reel the clock back just a little. We don't have to have your whole CV here, but um, talk a little bit about where you came from and how you got to Educated Barfly. And then, of course, well, we're going to talk about what, it, what Educated Barfly is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I was working in bars and uh, I was running the same bar for a really long time. Um, I had been actually, what's funny is that, you know, most bartenders, you know, I kind of view bartenders as sort of an or nomadic uh, kind of group of people who, um, you know, kind of go from job to job to job pretty quickly. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of my friends are just going from job to job. And I was the complete opposite. I was sort of like the marrying man of the bar world. Same. I, I went into the same bar that I, that I had learned how to bartend and learned about cocktails in, uh, Cole's French dip. And I stayed there for 10 years and I did work at other bars like as second jobs in the same time that I was working at Cole's, but I was always at Cole's throughout that whole time. Um, I stopped working at Cole's during the pandemic. We started the Educated Barfly three years before the pandemic in 2017, and it was because I was at a crossroads in my career. Um, I was at a point where I was sort of outgrowing being a bartender, being behind the stick every night. Um, and then at the same time, I could not see myself as like a, 
a brand ambassador, which is, you know, kind of the route that a lot of bartenders will take when they sort of outgrow the bar and they want to become a little bit more serious, but they yeah. want to stick in the spirits world. They'll go to become a brand ambassador or you're going to own your own bar. And at the time, I really couldn't see myself doing that, although my thoughts on this has have changed over the years. Um, and, uh, I, I had come from the film world. So I was working as a, as an actor and then as a, as a production assistant and as an art department coordinator in the film world before I ever became a bartender. Mm. Uh, I actually became a bartender because I wanted to do more commercials and just make easy money in my mind. Sure. Uh, so I had to get an agent. I just, had to get just, a flexible just, job. Just reminding everybody out there, bartending is easy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, in my in my uh, very undeveloped infantile brain, uh, I wanted like, quote unquote, easy money. So I landed in a nightclub, which was the hardest job I think I've ever had. Sure. Um, but it was also really rewarding in a lot of ways. Um, it really kind of informed my love for service. And even though we were you know, not really making drinks, it was one of those types of places where you were just sort of pouring – you know, one drink out of two bottles for thousands of people over the weekend. Um, I just loved it. I fell in love with it. Um, uh, and it, 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 it kind of gave me, it gave me the flexibility that I needed to be like an actor or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, kind of back to the, 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 the main story, I, I had kind of outgrown this and I had had a little bit of a background in the film industry and I was, I was very interested in making films and collaborating with people. Uh, I had a friend named Marius Haugen, who is, uh, my producing partner now, and we were production assistants in the film industry together. And then we had sort of lost touch and then kind of did some, you know, like, and then over the years we would kind of lose touch and then we'd get back together and do some creative projects or try to get some stuff off the ground together. Um, and so I had this idea for making a television show about bartenders at the time, uh, uh, chef's table was really, um, popular and I was really into it. And I was thinking to myself, like bartending has become very culinary. I know a lot of people who are very, very talented. Um, I really have never really understood this obsession with like kind of chefs and, and, and being a chef and kind of the kitchen world, uh, any more so than being a bartender. And I thought that, you know, a bartender version of that show could work. Uh, so I got together $10,000, uh, and a little crew and we created a little trailer called for a show that we called drink. And, um, my, my wife is a director, so she had a big deal manager, big deal, Hollywood manager. And I took the trailer that we shot to him and he said, Oh, this is very interesting. I really like this. I think you have something here. Let's shop this around to production companies. And there was a lot of interest, hmm. but the problem with it was that they didn't want us to be involved. They were like, oh. this is where you, this is where your association with this ends if we take this project on. And we didn't want to do that. So we um, kind of were back to square one. I was very discouraged. And I think it was Marius who was like, why don't we start a YouTube channel and just start, you know, kind of doing it on our own if we can't you know, get a production company to give us money to make it, which is sensible. I mean, we had never made anything that, you know, I mean, Marius is a, is a, uh, he's a producer, a line producer by trade, but he had never, you know, kind of created his own project. And so it would have been a big risk for a production company to give us, you know, half a million dollars or whatever it was to make the show and then, and then try and sell it to Netflix or something, which right. was, you know, at the time, you know, Netflix wasn't the sort of content juggernaut that it is today. Right. They weren't just snapping up every project that came out, came across their desk. Yeah, so that's the story. So originally, actually, I didn't – it wasn't me in front of the camera. Originally, it was going to be me directing, Marius producing and doing the camera, and then I was going to get all my bartender friends to do their drinks on my show. 
Um, and then we just kind of introduce them. But um, no matter how many bartenders say, oh, I was an actor before, I'm great in front of camera, a lot of the times we'd get people in, they'd be very confident. And then as soon as the camera turned on, they'd be like sweating and pale. And it took like three to four hours to get this one drink done. Um, and we'd have to kind of coach them through the, through it. And then on top of that, it was really, I mean, you know, like organizing bartenders is, is like herding cats, like Indeed. because of the weird, you know, schedule that you have and everyone's working late nights and getting up really early in the, I'm um, getting and not getting up early in the morning and getting up really late in the afternoon. Uh, it was like herding cats. Like we couldn't, you know, people would cancel at the last minute and it was just not sustainable. And Marius said, listen, uh, this isn't sustainable. I don't know if you thought about being in front of the camera, but I think you should be just because at least we know that you'll show up every day. And, <laughs> and that you're skilled, right? You're I think it. that's one of the more interesting things too about your show. First, I mean, you're, you're surfacing a lot of questions for me. First, I'd like to know, does that original trailer exist anywhere that we can send people and myself included to go and watch? Is that? Yes. Yeah. I think I have it. Yeah. I think we still have it. Yeah. Is that archived yeah. anywhere on I your can channel? Get yeah, I'd love to watch yeah, I can it. get it too. It's on a hard drive somewhere. Yeah, yeah. We used to have it as our tra- like as our channel trailer. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it was the channel trailer on YouTube. Uh, then we took it down because it just really had nothing to do with the show evolved. With the actual what we do. Yeah. yeah like yeah. the show, you know, now we do tutorials. That was more of like a cinematic kind of chef's table style documentary, you know. And then how many how many episodes did it take of having to herd the cats before you were like, yeah, fuck this? Like how many? How well, many, it wasn't. Many... I, I wasn't like fuck this because I'm infinitely patient with people. It was Marius that was like fuck this. <laughs> he's right. the practical, you know. He's the practical one. I am the dreamer kind of. You know, like I'm the one that sort of dreams up the episodes. And then he's the one reason why we can't. He's the one that tell. He's the guy that tells me why I can't do everything that's in my brain. You know. Right. Um. It, it took like two episodes or three oh, episodes. Just, I think. Um, right. Fuse. We did release them. Marius has a short fuse. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Three times. Fuck this. <laughs> he did. Yeah. I mean, it was, work, I mean, man. it was really difficult. It was very, very difficult. And he was just thinking like ahead, like if we have to do this every week and we're trying to do just one episode a week and we have to get four people in every single week and we can't nail them down. Yeah. And then if we do nail them down, it takes us four hours or so to get one drink out of them. It's going to, it's, we can't do this. It's not going to work. <clears throat> yeah. You'd have to go back and do something like without sound, right? Just have them casually do it without having to speak. And then go back and lay sound over. Right? It was, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, I, I, like even that would been it would have been a nightmare because the eight like when you ADR stuff. I mean, maybe the public doesn't realize it, but you can see what's ADR pretty easily. Oh, when yeah, you, yeah, yeah. When you've sure. laid, when you've done it, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, man, I, I I enjoy your show, and I I didn't realize it was as young as it is. Only since 2017, you just said. Yeah. So five years. We're we're in our fifth year right now. And your main platform is YouTube, which I rarely look at i'm i think i I think i'm still an albatross i don't really get onto youtube i i don't think of it as a resource like people do oh i don't know how to you know fix the brakes on my bike i'll go youtube that you know i don't that doesn't never occurs to me um i see it's funny because that's how i've that's that's how i've ever used it like oh i need to fix my insincorator i'm gonna learn that i'm gonna find a tutorial on youtube to figure out how to do that i i've never used it as entertainment yeah i think uh i I think i'm you know i'm you know Better or worse, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm just the wrong age. Like I just missed a lot of the things that are like zeitgeist and cultural. Um, so what do you do? Like your VW breaks down, you get out like the idiot's guide to making like to. If I had that manual, VW I would. And, that would yeah. be the first if I had it. That, that's but, what but, you do. But for, but for me, I, I go on and I just uh, search on the internet, and then if, if it links me to YouTube, 
but at the top, you know, where it says videos, I don't, I rarely go tap that. Like I'll, right. I'll read an article before I'll go watch a YouTube video. But right. anyway, I mean, you're probably the better for it too, though. That's neither here nor there. Destroying all of us. <laughs> yeah, because people could just put up anything they want, right? Right. Um, well, let's take a break real fast and hear from some, some sponsors. And I want to come back and really dig into what you're doing on both YouTube and uh, Instagram, which is where I follow you the most. And I assume that means you probably have a TikTok as well, because you have to do all the socials if you're doing any of them, right? Um, but we'll be right back and we'll keep talking uh, with our good friend Leandro from Educated Barfly. So stand by, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back here on the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, I'm here today talking with my good friend, Leandro Dimoriva. I'm going to get it right every time. I'm, I'm working on it. I like it. Dimoriva. Yeah. Those roll R's, R. though, are coming, are coming through. Got to roll that R. Uh, uh, Leandro Dimoriva uh, from Educated Barfly, and we've been talking a lot about um, how you got from behind the bar to in front of the camera. Um, and I want to touch a little bit on that. We've got a lot of uh, social media influencers out there doing bar stuff. Um, but we find uh, over and over that uh, fewer and fewer of them have ever been bartenders themselves. And I think that gives you a leg up. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the whole reason why we started. Because when we, when when Marius decided, like, hey, let's like, when Marius suggested, hey, let's go to YouTube, um, we did a little bit of market research into YouTube and who was on YouTube, and what we found was that there were a lot of enthusiasts, but not so many professionals. And so my whole thing was like, okay, if we're going to do this, the thing that's going to distinguish us is we're going to take the, uh, we're going to take the tack. We're going to, we're going to approach cocktails, not through the recipe, but through the technique of making cocktails. And that's really what I wanted to do is I wanted to take the technique that I learned it behind the bar and teach people that, because then you're basically training them the same way you would, that I would train a bar back just on video as opposed to in person. Um, and nobody was... I don't want to say nobody, uh, not many people were doing it. There, there were some people like, you know, Jamie Boudreau and, um, and, uh, Jim Meehan that were on YouTube, like way right. prior was, to me, but they were screen network, for remember? Yeah. Right. So it's not small screen network and liquor.com were making one-off videos. And so they would make one-off videos, but there was nobody really that I can think of. Well, there's one person actually that was a bartender that actually had a dedicated channel, uh, and that was a guy in Australia called Steve, uh, named Steve the Bartender. Yep, he's um, still out there, who, right? He's still out there. He's great, and uh, and and the stuff that we do is uh, is very similar, but a little bit different. We kind of do it in our own way. Uh, he was the only guy that was on there, I think, prior to us, and so we decided we're gonna you know kind of look at this through the lens of technique, 
and that's what we're going to do. And that's what you kind of miss on a lot of the, you know, I, I love that there's a lot of people out there that are enthusiasts that are trying to make cocktails and trying to learn, but you just do miss that technique. And a lot of times they don't really know exactly what they're doing. Uh, so it's nice to have a resource out there. We're trying to be that resource where we're, we're actually giving people like the correct, you know, kind of way to do things. Yeah. And you're, again, we've, we've spoken about how your, your main platform is YouTube, but you do have a pretty strong following on Instagram. And we talked a little bit off air about how you're, you're trying to at least address the audience that may or may not exist on TikTok. Talk, talk a little bit about what you were talking about while we were off the air. So uh, basically, I was just saying that um, the different social media platforms have different audiences. And, you know, when I first started in social media, I thought everyone just watched everything, you know, like, you know, TikTok, Instagram, it was all kind of the same thing. Well, TikTok didn't really exist until a couple of years after we started. But, you know, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, but what we really quickly realized is that YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok have completely different audiences, and they're not necessarily interested in the same thing. So, you know, if you're big on YouTube and you have a lot of following on YouTube, that doesn't necessarily mean that the people on Instagram are really going to resonate with what you're doing. Um, and so there's, I mean, there's a little bit of crossover, probably about 10% crossover, but not that much. And then, uh, and then TikTok is a much younger audience. Um, and they're not necessarily interested in what we do that much. They're not really that interested in like high-end cocktails. Um, you know, they are still at the age, I think, where they want to dump a whole bunch of booze into a bathtub with some, you know, blue sugar water and Jolly Ranchers and 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 do that, you know. And mm -hmm. I, hey, hey, you know what? We all go through that phase. Sure, of course. I went through that phase yeah. um, when I was in my early 20s. Um, Purple Jesus. So so <laughs> on, on Instagram, I mean, so on, on – on, um, on TikTok, you know, we, we've got, you know, a few tens of thousands of, 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 you know, followers at this home, but we're much, much smaller. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the business side of what you're doing, because a lot of people are hobbyists. I consider myself a hobbyist. I've made uh, a couple of dollars here and there on one-offs with uh, different brands on my Instagram. Um, I don't, I have a TikTok. I think I've posted two videos in the two years that I've had it. Uh, I'm more, I jump over there and observe. I started a YouTube during the pandemic, but uh, quickly lost uh, the uh, energy and drive to keep up with it. I, I planned. I, know, I was super sad though because I loved it. Oh well, thanks, man. It's not I was dead. like one it's of your just... early subscribers, and I really loved it. Oh, well, I thought it was you. great, and you were doing. It. I thought you were really good on camera as well. Oh well, thanks. Um, I, uh, uh, I I I will maybe get back to it. I just have so many other projects going on that are in my more quote unquote, I don't want to like put put down anything that you do, but like in my more, I'm, I'm in the real world. I'm not, I'm not on video. Right. All the time. I'm, <laughs> I have, you know, I have a bunch of businesses that I have to operate and um, have a bunch of employees that I have to care for and things like that. Um, so it's just, I ran out of time. Um, right. Uh, and then I moved out of that apartment and things changed. And um, regardless, I'd love to get back to it. I do like to be, you know, um, uh, you know, I was a teacher. I taught at a culinary school for two years. Um, I, I do like to be an educating, educating voice for the people. But, but if uh, you know, if that's not me, that's someone else. But so let's talk about the business a little bit. Um, okay. How did you flip your YouTube channel into a world of monetization, and how have you diversified your sort of uh, portfolio uh, into other aspects that tie back to that or can be promoted by that that have made you a living? Because again, I said at the top of the show, I assume. That's how you make your living because all I see you is on, on video. But I don't know. You may have a job on the side that I don't know about. How, 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 does, how does all this work, you know? Well, I had a job on the side until the pandemic made that job go away. And then I kind of looked at the numbers and thought, okay, we're actually doing well enough that we could we, – I could actually do this. And honestly, the job was becoming a hindrance anyway because, you know, um, you know, I like I, I completely – 
you know, kind of, I can commiserate with you about having, you know, kind of a job in the real world. The thing is, is that, you know, the reality is that if you were doing YouTube as well, then you would have to spend a lot of time figuring out like what you're going to shoot, what people haven't seen before, you know, kind of how you're going to do it. Are you going to write a script? Are you not? Are you just going to wing it? You know, who's going to shoot it? Who's going to edit it? Who's going to do the sound? It's a lot of consideration. So I can completely understand, you know, why that would be something that you would have stepped away from. Um, you know, as far as monetizing, like monetizing the, the educated barfly, it was sort of done for us. I mean, you after a while, after you hit a certain amount of attention, companies will just come to you. You mm-hmm. know, you don't really need to, you know, go out there and start, you know, kind of shucking and jiving, trying to figure out how to monetize. You know, companies will come to you because you're getting attention and then they're going to want to advertise. Um, advertising is a good way to make a living and then also keep your content free for people so that they can consume it. Um, and you don't have to go through, you know, kind of charging them or setting up some type of membership paywall or something, which I really like. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so we make, we do make a living at this and we make a living mainly through brand partnerships. Although, you know, we're very choosy about the brands that we work with. We only make, we make sure that we sort of test each brand and make sure that it's something that we're, you know, a fan of. if there's a brand, yeah, if there's a brand that comes to me with a lot of money and I don't like them, I'm going to pass it up. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, integrity and this, you know, we're playing the long game. It's like we want to get behind those brands that that we are interested in and that ones that we think are quality. And, you know, those brands need um, need uh, they need advertising as well. The thing is, is what's what's kind of great for the brands is that back in the day when they were making, you know, and coming from the film world and specifically I've worked on a lot of commercials, you know, when a brand hires a traditional production company. They pay tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to make a 30-second spot uh, to run on TV, and they can't even pull analytics. They don't even know, you know who saw it. How, like who's, yeah. who saw it or how effective it was or what kind of uh, engagement was. So you know, for a brand, you know, anything that they do, even the highest paid influences are short money. I mean, unless you're like, I don't know, like Mr. Beast or something and just like hundreds of millions of subscribers or something, it's going to be shorter money for them. And so you can actually cobble together a pretty good living. The other thing that we did, uh, just speaking to diversification, is we started kind of partnering with other companies to bring products to the market that we liked. So for instance, um, you know, glassware, you know, just like looking at, you know, kind of com- thinking up glassware design, just glassware design that I wanted to see when I was a bartender. We were l- lucky enough to get into a, uh, into business with a company called Amela and they started producing some glassware that we designed. Uh, and so we started selling that. Um, we take a sponsorship from a company called Barfly Mixology Gear. Uh, which is a subsidiary of Mercer that provides us with all our tools. They were big supporters from the time that we had like 5,000 subscribers and we were tiny, tiny, tiny. And, you know, they had always supported us and given us free stuff to use uh, while we were starting out, which is great because you want your equipment to look good on camera and everything. And it is very expensive to start out, not to mention that we are buying all the booze to begin with. And then also, you know, and then also, yeah, so, so, so uh, we're also looking to monetize our website a little bit more and make it a better resource. Uh, So that's something that we're looking towards and not something that we're doing quite successfully quite yet. I mean, and again, excuse me, how many are on the team? Is it still just you and, and your partner? 
Uh, it's me, Marius, and then we have an IT guy uh, that is a friend of uh, Marius's girlfriend's family, or he's a, he's a cousin of his girlfriend um, that runs our. He's an IT guy, and he just runs our website, just making it sure everything is like posted on time. Just he basically keeps the trains on time sure. when it comes to just the website alone. But as far as everything else, it's just Marius and I. And, and like, then we, we do actually just have some editing help that we hire out uh, on like a monthly basis as well. Yeah. And how like, <clears throat> you know, a lot of folks who listen to this show are in the field. A lot of folks aren't. Um, but the ones that are in the field, I think, would be curious to understand, like when we talk to bar owners, it's, a, it's like an attainable thing. They could one day become a bar owner. How attainable do you think a lifestyle like the one you live now is for the average listener who's out there who's just as passionate, just as enthusiastic, just as knowledgeable uh, you know, like I have, I've, I own bars and people listen to me and they go out and open bars. Uh, can people, what, what do you think the chances are? I don't know if you have a number in your mind, uh, obviously, but like, I don't know. It just seems like it's a, a different thing. It's a different level of uh, attainability. Well, I mean, it's very attainable. The, the thing about people when it comes to like social media is that the numbers of the success numbers are really small. Like, even at the at the level that we're at, which we're a pretty middle range YouTube channel, you know, as far as numbers go, but even at the numbers that we're at, we're in like the elite 10% of people that actually succeed at it. But I think that a lot of the reason why people don't succeed is because they quit before they can become successful. It's really about, um, you know, dedicating it to yourself, uh, dedicating yourself to it. The thing is, is that you can't do this because you want to become like famous. You can't do it because you want to have a big YouTube channel. You can't, that can't be your driving force because if that is, it's never going to work. Um, I never thought that this, I mean, here's the, this is the cliche thing that every YouTuber, every social media person says, I never thought that this was going to actually amount to anything. I and I really didn't. And quite honestly, I was closing in on this fear of mine that I had in my twenties that I would be like, still a bartender or still a waiter at 40 years old. Like that's a cutoff of like when your serious life is going to have to begin or something. Um, you know, I, I, I have since completely changed my ideas on that. That was a kind of an infantile idea, but, but it, it, the thing is, is that you have to want to do it for free. You have to be able to say that I would be doing this anyway, even if I wasn't getting paid, that this is just something that I really want to do something that I really enjoy doing. And then it's that passion and it's that excitement that carries over and makes people excited. It's infectious. And I think that, you know, I don't know if you can manufacture that enthusiasm, you know, like why do people become chefs? Why do people become bar owners? Because they're enthusiastic about it. The question is like, if, if money were no object, would you do what you would do now and not get paid for it? Like if you just say you were independently wealthy, a uh, hundred million dollars in the bank, enough that you don't have to do the Amore Amargo anymore, would you still do it? Uh, yeah, 100% I'd still do a Mario Margot. Uh, and I'm a great example of that in that, you know, the radio show that we're on right now is 12 years old. Uh, we're two episodes away from our 500th episode and uh, we don't get paid for this. Right. So there you go. We, it's we, like we you've got to be able to want to be in the room. We do it because we love it. HRN is a nonprofit. And when you do hear ads on our show, that goes to make the studio stay alive. It doesn't go to us. Um, so, uh, yeah, you're right. Passion is something you can't manufacture. Was there a moment in your early days of the YouTube channel, you know, after you got rid of trying to have guests on, <laughs> was there a moment when you <laughs> thought to yourself, this could, this could be something like you say, 
you know, you didn't think it would in the beginning, but where was, where was that? There must've been a moment. Where was that moment? What happened? How, was it, oh man, we got 5,000 followers or 10,000 or wherever it was, or was it like, we got so much response from this episode, so much engagement from the audience. Like, where was it like, you know what, this, this could be the thing. Okay. The, I actually had the opposite. Well, okay. That happened because of a mistake that we made, but basically, and this is going to be a little bit of a long story. And I know I'm already kind of long winded. So I, I apologize. Uh, this is radio. That's what the, if you don't talk, then it's, <laughs> right. then it's a weird joke. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess that, I guess that's true. Um, so we, I had read about this YouTuber named Casey Neistat, who I really admire. And I just really like his stuff. He's a filmmaker. He was the first guy on YouTube to be like, I'm going to make each episode into like a mini film. It's going to have a beginning, middle and end. Uh, he got very big, very, very famous for doing this. And uh, he's a, just a really great YouTube channel. And I had read in an article that he had um, taken five years to get to a million people. And, uh, and we were trying to be successful at it, even though we didn't, even though in the back of my mind, I didn't think that we, that this could ever be a living. You just never think that you could make a living doing something like this. I still hoped that we could. So well, at the very least, um, you hoped that you might make a little vacation money little, out of it. Right. A little scratch. I mean, I, you know, I, yeah, at the time I was thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe this will just like be a little supplement, you know, maybe I can make a little supplement at the end of the day. Maybe this will at least pay for itself, so I'm not just spending thousands of dollars every yeah. month on boosts, right? At least cover so, its own costs. <laughs> right. So I read, I read uh, that this guy Casey Neistat had taken five years to get to a million, but when he started posting videos every single day, he went from one million to two million in six months. And so I went to Marius and I was like, "This is what we got to do. We got to start posting videos every day." So what we did was, we would, we would shoot like 15 cocktails in a day we'd shoot like these it would just be like one cocktail in the episode and then we'd shoot tasting notes but we would release the tasting notes the next day which annoyed everybody but it enabled us to make them come back to to make them well well it enabled us to, to to release episodes every day five days a week and that that like punches the algorithm because every single time you upload something, the algorithm says, oh, this person's uploading. I'm going to push that content because he's uploading, he's uploading, he's uploading. And we got to a spot where Marius was going on vacation and we were out of episodes except for this one Negroni episode that I hated because I thought I had completely botched it. I hated the edit. I hated the way that I sounded in it. I don't know. I do this thing sometimes that sounds a little arrogant. I, I, I think I took like an arrogant stance on the Negroni or something. And I just, I was like, I, I don't want to release this episode. This is going to bounce back on us in a bad way. And we should just whatever. But, but he was on, he was, he was out of town and we needed an episode and we didn't want to mess the algorithm up because anytime you change something on YouTube, after you've been done doing it for a while, it confuses the algorithm and it, and it pushes your content down. Mm. So we didn't want that to happen. And the only thing we had was this Negroni episode. And so we just released it because we had to, and it was never meant to see the light of day. And that video exploded. Like it exploded. It went like mini viral. So we went from doing 200 views an episode to this thing, getting like 50,000 views or something. And all of a sudden the subscribers just started like raining into our channel and then it didn't stop. Like it kept going and going and going and the numbers kept going up and up. And that was probably the moment that I was like, oh, maybe we are going to be successful at this. Now, whatever it was that you didn't like about that episode, could you pinpoint it? And then did you exploit that? You know, I see a lot of social media 
um, videos, they'll say, uh, they'll grab a bottle. Uh, let's use a, a, you know, a booze one as an example. They'll grab a bottle and say, and add your apple brandy, but the bottle is clearly a bottle of gin. And they do it on purpose because that right. gets so many people to comment, that was a bottle of gin, that was a bottle of gin, that wasn't apple brandy. Right. So did you yeah, find it whatever it was you, yes, you're cheating, you know, you're, you're hacking. Um, so did you pinpoint whatever it was you didn't like about the Negroni episode? And have you used that as a tool to drive, uh, I see this smile on your face, the, 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 our audience can't see your face, but I can. <laughs> you're giving yourself away. <laughs> Let's play poker. Uh, <laughs> in in that specific episode, no. And it took me a really long time to, um, I'm, oh my God, I, I'm going to give away my secret now, I think. <laughs> so, uh, it took me a really long time to, um, to kind of figure out the whole thing about like engagement by poking people in a, in a terrible way. And I, I do have a, a poor portion of my personality that likes to poke people a little bit. We're so bartenders. We all time, have that. <laughs> right. So at the time, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't find out what it was that, that made that thing go viral. I had no idea, but now, nowadays I do a thing where I badly, okay. So here's the thing. One episode years ago, I, I, I pronounced something badly and the, the police force of, uh, YouTube came out to correct me. Yeah. And so uh, and, and, it, and it, uh, to be honest, it kind of annoyed me. Like I was, it was really, uh, kind of irritated because at the, it, it's like, I, I think it was a French word and it's like, I'm not French. And if I affect a French accent to pronounce a French word, there's going to be 50% of the people being like, you're not French, you know, you're, a, you're, you're pretentious. Right. And then the other 50% are gonna, uh, but if you then, you know, pronounce it like an American person saying a French word, yeah. then the other 50% are saying, that's not how you say that. Yeah. That's not, it's, it's pronounced Saint-Germain, yeah. not Saint-Germain. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, made so, by an American. <laughs> so I started basically pronouncing things badly on purpose. Well, listen, I mean, and I, I do I, it to this day. Like the other day I said U to V instead of O to V. Uh, <laughs> and then the comments explode. I, I, I do it not to p promote. Uh, I, I do it kind of to troll the audience a little bit, to be honest. Yeah. Well, listen, you feel like maybe you're giving away your secret. You're not. I mean, I don't know. You've surely seen the adage about the internet in general, long before we had so many uh, social media. Uh, anytime you're looking for an answer on the internet, post the wrong answer. The, right. inter the internet will then tell you the right answer. <laughs> right, totally. You will get plenty of right answers if you post the wrong answer. Um, well, th that's pretty brilliant. Um, have you heard this thing about you? Uh, sorry, about um, TikTok. And, and I said you said earlier you've only kind of just really breaking into the TikTok world. Have you heard about the fact that it, it turns out now that they have on staff heaters? Did you hear about this article at all? Some no. of the staff members literally get to watch videos and if they decide they like it they can supersede the algorithm and put it out there so a lot of the things Whoa. that go viral are just because the staff liked it oh interesting so now we've got you know suddenly enter the human into the uh, algorithm uh you know calculations um and i think that's going to change everything and you know people are already upset about it they say you know because because the heaters generally uh you know they're they're paid to pick out people who already maybe have a huge following, like, I don't know, Beyonce, right. Beyonce or somebody like that. And they heat up their, um, their content to, to, this drives money to them. You know, it's all as it's if all they system. need it. I don't right. know if you, I don't know if you guys know, we're, we're in what we call late stage capitalism. 
I'm well aware. Yeah, meaning it's uh, it's coming to an end. <laughs> yep, it's it's uh, it's on the decline. Yeah. <clears throat> How sustainable do you think this is? Because you already said something earlier that I've tried to talk to other content creators about, and I've, uh, and I've proven it to myself anyway. Um, you said, you know, we got to put out a new video. We got to have a video. All we had was that one video, so we put it out. Uh, how common? How commonly do you do a rerun? Because I say to people all the time, like, I never actually watched Seinfeld. I kind of still haven't. But, like, I know that I can watch it on reruns. And I know that lots of people watch it over and over and over and over again. What's the right. What's the hesitation as a creator to not offer a rerun from time to time? Hey, I'm on vacation. I'm going to run some well, reruns. <laughs> we kind of do do a rerun in that we, like, do cocktails over and over and over again. Like, if you just type in old-fashioned barfly, you'll see hundreds – like, literally – not hundreds, but you'll see, you know t- – at least Bunch. 15 different, you know, old fashioned, you know, but those are uh, different, right? That's still, you still had to go through the effort and the energy of filming, editing uh, all the, all the bits, right? right? But we, then, and then we also like, here's like, one that I posted five years ago that you haven't seen. It's new to you. Right. You know, here's the thing. The thing is, is that so much has changed in my delivery, in the way that I cut my hair, in the way that, um, you know, in the way that we approach things, uh, whether we use intro music or not intro music. You know, the thing about Marius and I is that we've been really experimental in how we do our show. And because of that, the older videos, and sometimes we do, sometimes we'll take an old video and we'll repurpose it as a, as a short. And so it's kind of a rerun. Sure. Um, but like, we don't, we, then when we look at it, we don't like, we, we, it's like we, what we do now is so much better than what we did then. And then also sometimes like my facts are a little wonky and, or like my history wasn't like completely right. Or I learned something new about a cocktail. And so I want to kind of put out another thing about it because I've learned more or Mm -hmm. my opinions have changed. I mean, like one time in the very first Manhattan episode, I said, don't, I said, Manhattan should be made with rye. And if you make one with bourbon, don't tell me and I won't slap you. So I like I said that in the video because I was very, but I have since I have since changed my position on bourbon in a, in a Manhattan, and there are certain ways that they can be made that I, I that I really enjoy, sure, I, and I, I'm not as arrogant as I used to be, and yeah. I'm you know I'm much more forgiving. And the more I learn about cocktails, the more I, I realize I don't know. Yeah. So we used to, we used to commonly refer to the bourbon old fashioned as uh, your to to a guest your God's tears. Um, yeah, <laughs> whoever your God is, they're crying because you want bourbon instead of rye. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I get, I getting get into like heated arguments with people about it. Yeah. Know? I get, well, I mean, you know, then we have the, the historical evidence that the first old fashioned was overwhelmingly likely made with, uh, uh Holland's gin or Geneva. Right. Right. So like, right. we're all just, uh, I, I think of cocktails, you know, it's, it's helped me a lot. I was a chef for a long time and I've got my, my very first job ever cooking, was at, uh, at the time, the second busiest Waffle House in the country. And I did the overnight right. shift because I was still in high school. My senior year, I moved out and I had to work. But I, I think of cocktails as eggs. Everybody likes their eggs just a little bit differently. Right. <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of range inside of sunny side up or over medium or over hard or poached or coddled or boiled right. or fried. or You know, like there's plenty that I feel like, you know, every, uh, we can make a standard and then you can adjust from there. Right, but so unlike eggs, yeah, yeah. there's a ton of traditionalism. Like when you fry sure. an egg, there's nobody over your shoulder being like, wait a minute, that's not yeah. how you fry an egg. Yeah. Actually, in 1899, <laughs> when they fried eggs, yeah, right. all right, this is how they used to do it. You know, I don't know. I'm like, I did a, like, I spent my entire morning doing a really deep dive in the Sazerac because I'm, 
uh, preparing an episode in the Sazerac and I uncovered all sorts of stuff that just completely changed everything that I think or and a lot that's what's printed about the Sazerac. And so I'm about to make a video that's going to just piss everyone off. Well, yeah, it was just relatively recently, two, less than two years ago, that Dave Wondrich's article about the Sazerac came out where he was like, this was always a rye cocktail. It was never cognac. always a rye cocktail. Yeah, and that and that and that it was like people say, oh, it was it was invented between 1830 and 1850, but that's not true because right. really the Sazerac was in it was a, it was an evolution of the brand the improved brandy cocktail. That cocktail didn't um, really come about to like the 1870s. Uh, Antoine Amadie Peychaud could not have invented the Sazerac because he invented Peychaud's bitters in 1833, which would put the 1830 creation date as completely impossible. Right. And then on top of all of that, and then on top of all of that, the Sazerac wasn't actually in print until 1899. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what we have in our in our world is the e one easy net we have to fall back on is um, you know uh, the history of it all is a bit blurry because everyone was drinking and no one was taking notes. Right, exactly. Yeah, that, I mean, so, it's like what David Wonders says. Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, As we kind of find things and guys like Dave and uh, uh, you know, Dale and the past Gary uh, find these things, it's like, okay, it's just new news that we, great, who cares? I like, there's a, yeah. there's a part of me that's like, that's awesome, I care, but there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> Is it delicious? I mean, that's what I care about. I ca I care, but I the way that I look at it is like I think that traditionalism is the is the is the death of the of progress, right? So like it's like yes, you, okay, in the 1890s, this is how they made this drink. That's great, but we don't live in the 1890s. We have technology they didn't have in the 1890s. We know things that they didn't know in the 1890s. Uh, we have a range of products that they didn't have, and so you know, making things in the way that they made them in the 1890s sometimes is the best way, sometimes it's not. But like you can have five different old fashions that are great. You can have five different Palomas. You can make a Paloma with squirt. You can make a Paloma with squirt and grapefruit juice. You can make it with grapefruit juice and soda water. And all of that is valid. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Well, hundred percent. Uh, you know, I, uh, the one thing from history that I fall back on all the time, I probably said it numerous times on the show. I used to have a big uh, sign that said it in my bar coup, which was uh, all about giving to charity. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, who said, uh, do what you can with what you have, where you are. And that's how I live my yeah. life in general, but that is certainly how I approach cocktails. I love that. You know, yeah. If I'm in that's, a room, if I walk quote. into your home bar and you say, make me a Sazerac and you don't have cognac or rye or absinthe, I'm going to make you something that's going to be delicious. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to work with what you got. <laughs> It'll be great. Uh, man, what a great uh, time chatting with you today uh, about everything you do in the social media world. Because I don't think – I think you might be our first guest on the Speakeasy who lives in that realm sort of exclusively because you don't work at bars at all right now, right? No, no. I mean I I, I, I have done a few like sort of one-off things for brands will, where I'll go and do a mm. kind of influencer dinner or whatever and create a menu and then be behind the stick for that, which I really enjoy and want to do more of. Oh, cool. or, people that want to hire me to do that. Uh, but, um, listening. but, uh, I'd like, I, I do miss being behind the bar, but I am not behind the bar. And I don't know if I have the time to be like fully, you know, full time behind the bar right now. Listen, as we so, spoke yes, earlier, it is one of the reasons that I abandoned my, um, you know, abandon is the wrong word. I still think about it a lot. It's on my whiteboard over there in the corner. Um, my YouTube channel. It's, I just don't have time, man. I don't have time to, you know, I need a, I need one more day in the week, not one more hour in the day, you know, right. I just don't have it. Um, well, and you do, and I'm glad that you do, and uh, I'm glad you're out there doing what you're doing. It's really great. It's, I think it's a, 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 a very educational channel, and it, I can see the effort that you're putting in to try and make it be both authentic and um, factual. 
And I think that's of great help because there's so much stuff out there that isn't that. So I hope more people go and check out The Educated Barfly. Uh, and that that's it, right? You, you can be found on YouTube as The Educated Barfly. Is it The Educated or just Educated? Yeah, it's The Educated Barfly. I thought so, yeah. So yeah, on YouTube it's The Educated Barfly or on Instagram as – I think it's – if it's not the educated barfly on Instagram, it's educated barfly or something. No, no, you sent you sent me your note. I'm looking at your note. It says the educated yeah. barfly on both. Right. So, so yeah, the educated barfly pretty much everywhere, and then theeducatedbarfly.com if you guys want to check out our uh, website. Which you know what? Hey, we, every single video that we make, we post every recipe on the website. So if you guys are just looking for like the website, the the recipes in print, you can find them there. When are you going to archive all that information and, and put out a, a printed book? <laughs> Did I just? Oh add, man! Did I just add a log to your fire? <laughs> it's just it, it, it's. It, I am afraid to write a book, to tell you the honest God truth, if, because I don't want to do something that's just one more book of the hundreds of books out there. I want to have something to say. I feel like you just showed me your book, but I feel like you do and did you did you pioneered something and you had something interesting and 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 something singular to yourself to say and i just don't want to put out you know like marius was like we should just put out a like five years of barfly and put out all the recipes you like and you know what i'm just not into it i i, I don't think that that really speaks to me I feel like that's what every, you know, any, any quote unquote influencer, which is kind of a dirty word that I don't like, but like any like, you know, kind of social media person <laughs> just or whatever. Word. Yeah. Um, they can just do that. And I just, I, I feel like I, I do because, so I don't know what it is yet, but yeah. I, it, it, it will be forthcoming at some point. You know, it, it's inevitable that I write one. I just don't know what that's going to be just yet. Yeah. Well, uh, always excited to see what new projects you have coming down the road. Uh, we'll definitely send people over to your YouTube, your Instagram, your TikTok if they like that as well, uh, and um, and your website to see the products that you're creating and offering over there uh, too. So really great to have you on. Um, uh, that's it for this episode of the Speakeasy. Uh, tune into Heritage Radio Network for plenty more shows just like this one. Uh, go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to become a member or to donate to shows just like this to keep us all on the air. Uh, thanks again, Leandro Dimonriva from thank uh, you. Educated Barfly. So yeah, man. Really yeah, great. Really you. great to have you on. Uh, cheers, everybody. So you don't shun the devil with your the Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. <laughs>